Hello, you're listening to No Such Word as Can'ts with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Today, I want to welcome fellow author and former marine mammal trainer to the podcast, Kyle Kittleson. Welcome to the pods. Hi, Hazel. Thanks for having me on. Of course. I'm so excited to start chatting with you about everything marine mammal, mental health, writing a book. Um, Two of those are my favorite topic, writing a book, (laughs) not so much. Gosh. You still did it. You still made it happen. still did it. That's right. No such thing as can't. Yes, exactly. So when you were very small, you've always said you've had a passion, not just for working with animals, but, you know, saving the world, quote unquote, and being an environmentalist. Yeah. So where did that passion come from? Well, that passion stemmed from my innate passion to marine animals, Mm -hmm. specifically marine mammals. So although I consider myself an animal lover, I mean, when I was born, there is a a really deep, strong pull I had towards marine life. Mm-hmm. And when I was really young, that manifested as, you know, worshiping Jacques Cousteau and going <laughs> to marine camps and reading every book I could about the ocean. And as I got a little bit older, that got really focused into marine animals, marine mammals, and really specifically sea lions. And then as a child, I just loved these animals so much. I was like, well, we've got to save the world because these animals, these poor animals. And so as, as a kid, I was just this, uh, you know, champion of Mother Earth, so to speak. And um, when I got older, I, I probably got a little more realistic in my in my <laughs> childhood daydreams and imagination. But it's something that has just always been a part of me. Now, look, when I see any animal, I get excited. If I see a giraffe, I'm like, that's cool. Look at that giraffe. But if I see a marine animal, it is, I mean, it's like my heart expands to the size of the universe. You know, it's mm-hmm. just, there's some connection with marine life that I, that I can't explain. Like you always, you that. always felt a pull to them when you were younger. Yeah, and I grew up in the desert in Arizona in America, and uh, there were no marine animals. And mm-hmm. so I don't know if that added to the, you know, mystique or mystery of the ocean to me, um, or if I was just born in the wrong place. But I, I mean, I am most at home in the water. I, the happiest I've ever been is with an animal, you know, a marine animal, spending time mm-hmm. with them. Um, yeah, and so I think there's, there's probably a lot of different categories of trainers and then I, I fall into the category of just innate love for these animals. It, mm-hmm. Nothing happened to me. I was just born this way. What would you think the other categories of trainers are? I think there are categories who of trainers who developed a love of animals later in life for whatever reason. Maybe mm-hmm. they were 10 or 11 and they went to SeaWorld and they're like, whoa, I didn't know this was a thing even. And <laughs> mm-hmm. they fell in love that way. Um, I think some people just love animals, so they want to go work with pachyderms one day or, you know, chimps, you know, another day. And then another day they want to go work with dolphins. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that those little designations probably make up the majority, I think, of mm-hmm. uh, trainers. But there's also a subset of trainers who are there for their own ego. Um, you know, it's 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 pretty rare. Most trainers are there for the animals. They're there for the love and passion. But I met trainers. I was like, oh, you're here for your Instagram. Like you're here for you. You're showing yeah. up for yourself today in a very selfish way. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's really rare. They don't last very long. You can't really last very long. No. If that's your attitude. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think we all know or have worked with people who have, you know, a similar attitude um, to that. And yeah, it shows in the relationships that they have with the animals as well. You know, it, yeah, it's and very telling people in their life too. And mm-hmm. I also think just, you know, to be a little gossipy, um, <laughs> the, uh, and the animals that people are drawn to, I often draw certain types of personalities. You know, like I'm a pinniped guy, sea lions all day long. I mm-hmm. could be happy just working with sea lions. And then that, that, and the other people I meet like that, uh, we're very similar. We're like sea lion people. And then, yeah. you know, I worked with killer whales and the people who just ride or die for killer whales and they don't really want to work with penguins I just want to work with killer whales that's a different type of personality and so I sometimes I think animal personalities draw other human types of like specific humans to them you know I think I would agree with that because I mean I am a killer whale person through and through that from when I was 14 I was like that's all I want to do yeah. every every other animal every other department or facility was just a ladder to get yeah, me there. yeah 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 and um yeah, I would agree because working with different species, it it draws something different out of you. You yeah. know, you have you have to be slightly different working with sea lions as you would be working with killer whales or dolphins or penguins or marmosets. Um, yeah, and, I and think- not only in a in a um, like an abstract way, but sometimes in a very functional way. I remember a story. I worked with this uh, trainer named Sarah, and she worked with dolphins for like I don't know, fifteen years or something. And then they moved her to work with sea lions. And so she's doing her first session with a sea lion. And she's a, she's a very uh, experienced trainer with dolphins. Mm-hmm. And she's doing the session with the sea lion. And the sea lion, um, you know, is just like not having it. And the sea lion's like, I don't want to do this. So she goes, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to break. I'm going to end the session and we'll come back and do this another time. And when you break from a dolphin, you just walk away from the pool. You don't have to do yeah. anything. Well, you can't do that with a sea lion because they no. follow you. So yeah. she breaks and the sea lion jumps out of the water and is like, where are we going? She goes, oh, yeah. my gosh. <laughs> I can't just walk away from you. I have mm-hmm. to, t- I have to, you have to have a whole new relationship, you know, because yeah. this animal can follow you around. Yeah. I think there's definitely something to be said as well about working with different species because then you can learn a lot more about who you are as a trainer. And, oh, yes. and what animals you really enjoy working with. Um, you know, I'm very lucky to have gotten to work with sea lions, dolphins and killer whales in my career. And I have a very similar story of a trainer who is at Marineland called Deb. And she won't be listening because she doesn't speak English very well. But she she's just incredible. And she was, again, a sea lion trainer for like over 20 years. Very wow. experienced trainer. And she came to killer whale for six months because she wanted to challenge herself. She wanted to learn something new. And she will be the first to admit that she was not a good killer whale trainer. Like she did not take to it naturally. 
she learned so much and made so many mistakes, but she did it with such grace and such humility and so much comedy. Like when she, like you could just tell she was a sea lion trainer. Like she yeah. was just funny. Like yeah. everything, <laughs> like, yeah. like everything was just like she would mess up and immediately she would just be laughing and it brought so much lightheartedness and humor to the team because I don't know, like sometimes killer rail teams can be quite serious for, oh, for all very obvious, serious. For Which obvious is, reasons. Yeah, understandably so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. But you've worked with a lot of species what when you worked for SeaWorld. So tell us a little bit about your experiences working on in different departments and different teams. Well, I've I've worked at two facilities. One was SeaWorld and one was a small facility out in Hawaii. At SeaWorld I worked um with I was only in two departments. I was in the whale and dolphin department for the majority of my time there. And then I did a year at Shamu and, um, you know, at Shamu, I, I don't remember if there were seven or nine whales there, but, um, you know, it was a, a, a nice pod. And, um, at whale and dolphin, we had three, six, eight male dolphins. And then while I was there, we had pilot whales, we had false killer whales, um, uh the the pilot whales were uh rescues we had baby dolphins come in um and then we also got to work with parrots and i love parrots oh my gosh like even as a kid i love parrots but i wasn't born with the love of parrots i met a parrot in eighth mm-hmm. grade and i was like oh my gosh what a <laughs> cool animal um and so uh i i loved i loved that mix of having like one, you know, you're doing a session with a macaw and then you're doing a session with a dolphin and then you're doing a yeah. session with a whale. And it's like, what a great little day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in Hawaii, I worked with sea lions um, and dolphins and penguins and harbor seals and monk seals and all these other uh, pinnipeds. But it was, it was heavy, heavy in the sea lion space. We did sea lion interactions. We did sea lion shows. We did multi-species shows with dolphins, sea lions and penguins. And um, yeah, I mean, that's where I really got the foundation of my education from two mentors, Kiana, who uh, is actually mentioned in um, the book Lads Before the Wind. And if you've not read that by Karen Pryor, it's a must read. It's Absolutely. a fabulous read. Not I would just second from, that. Yeah, from the educational standpoint. It's just, it's like talking about the industry coming up in the 60s. And it, it's just... So wild, wild west. You know? It was a different world. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Way different world. And, uh, so she was actually one of my mentors, uh, fabulous woman. And then Chris Quintos, who, um, is now back in Hawaii working. Uh, he was a mentor of mine as well. And they, they taught me everything. I mean, I didn't even know. I couldn't, I mean, I didn't know anything. I didn't know what operant conditioning really was. You know? <laughs> no one like that. I think that's so important to teach people when they're getting started in the field is you're not going to know anything. You're going to learn it on the job and you're going to keep growing as a trainer because as a trainer, you're never going to know everything because yeah, you'll never know everything. But look today there today, you better, if you're an, if you're doing an internship, you better show up knowing what operating conditioning is. Yeah. I would like that. Yeah. I, there, there's no excuses anymore. You're you, this is one of many podcasts on the subject. Yeah. Okay. So like there back in my day, there were no books. There was no Facebook group. There was no like, let me figure out how to do this. You mm-hmm. just, you just guessed. You so, might No, I think the expectation is much higher today for people coming into the field, yeah, as it, it should be. 
the information is much more easily accessible, you know. I mean, yeah. at least when I was getting started, I had Facebook. <laughs> but even then, the information was much less than what it is now. Um, yeah. But a little earlier on, you said that, you know, it's strange you being from a desert state, but you love being in the water. So tell us a little bit about your time being in the water with marine mammals. What was that like? Well, luckily, I was in the water my entire career. Um not so much with dolphins when I was in Hawaii. So I did Hawaii first. And most of that, I, I mean, I was in the water with dolphins, but it just, it was very uh, sparse. Well, mm-hmm. my department, we just didn't do a lot of water work in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we did a lot of water work, though, was with the sea lions, um, which, again, I'm like, that's all I care about. So that was a, I think sea lions get get your, uh, they reveal your mistakes a lot quicker than other animals simply because they're in your face. They're following you around. You, you, I mean, they're just, you are sharing the same space with that animal the entire time you're working with that animal, which mm-hmm. is very different than whales and dolphins. So, um, you know, being in the water with them was such a great learning experience and being in the water with them with the public because we're doing sea line interactions with people from mm. you know, Idaho who have no idea what they're doing. And so you have, I remember, I mean, I can just tell stories all day, but we've had sea lions break from, you know, the back and come out to an interaction with groups of people. Or uh, I worked with a lot of uh, elderly sea lions, a very geriatric population. So they couldn't really see, we work with a lot of blind sea lions. So you're using, you know, tactile, uh, you know, stimuluses or stimuli to work with these animals. And that uh, was very educational because you're working with an animal who, who can barely hear and can't see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can get good at that. Working with an animal who can see and hear sometimes is a lot easier. So that was the water work there was pretty basic. The water work at SeaWorld was a lot more advanced. Um, more so because I was working with dolphins, um, that, I mean, the, I worked the, uh, oh my gosh, I forgot the name. Blue Horizons was the name of the show at SeaWorld. And I, my favorite, my favorite show ever at SeaWorld. I I mean, apart from maybe Believe, but Blue Horizons is either top two or equal first. When I interviewed at SeaWorld, I actually interviewed the day that the Dawn incident happened or I was supposed to interview. So um, it was canceled, obviously. And so I went to um, just watch the show. I was like, let me go watch the show. We didn't really know what was going on. Like, yeah. Oh, my reports God. I can't believe they, that. that. That sounds like, oh, <laughs> nobody knew what was going on. They were just like, oh, there was something that's going on. And I was like, no problem. I'm I forget that this is an audio medium. I made no, I had like no reaction noise to you just telling me that because I did not know that. But my jaw dropped. I was oh. like, oh my god! <laughs> I'm just like they can't see me. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so I watched um, Blue Horizons and it ended, and I I said that's the best marine, that's the best animal show I've ever seen in my entire life, hands down. And I thought. Only the luckiest people in the world yeah. would get to be a part of that show. I used and to so cry then, every time I saw it. <laughs> yeah, I cried the last time I did it. Oh, my God, I was a bawling mess oh. the last time I did it. Um, <laughs> Your tears just mixing with the salt water. <laughs> yes, yeah, and the dolphins, they don't care. They're like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, but I, so when I, so weeks later I came back and I got hired and they said, um, 
you're going to go work at Shamu. And I was like, great. That, I mean, that's really why I was going to SeaWorld to work with killer whales. What was it, what was it like starting on Shamu three weeks after that had happened? Well, I didn't, I didn't. So they, they said like, you're going to work at Shamu. I said, great. And I was living in Hawaii at the time and I was having to move to Florida. So I was like, I'll start in, you know, whatever the date was. And then they called me and they said, actually, we need someone with dolphin experience to work at whale and dolphin stadium. Mm. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do? Say no. So mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, sounds good. And so they moved me to Dolphin Stadium. So I didn't mm-hmm. go to Shamu for like three or four more, three or four uh, years okay, after yeah. that, uh, which in hindsight was great because that department was going through like such turmoil yeah. uh, during that time, which I didn't want to be a part of. But doing the water work at Blue Horizon, that show, Blue Horizons, I mean, I'm sure it's on YouTube, is such a rush for me. I mean, I'm speaking selfishly, such a rush, such a um, a beautiful experience, very physically demanding. Um, but I mean, the the quintessential the the quintessential thing that everybody, every kid dreams of. Right. And when they're yeah. in their bunk bed thinking about being a dolphin trainer is, is put into that show. Absolutely. And, um, I mean, even the cover of my book is a, is a shot from that <laughs> show because it's yes. just, it's just so great. And the other reason it's so great is not just because it's so fun to do and it's so spectacular to watch, but it is so dynamic for the animals and it, provided so much opportunity for change for the animals. So many shows, especially at larger facilities at SeaWorld, follow a very specific format of how they want the show to run and go down, both because they've got tech and lighting and, and you know, there are a gazillion other things that I don't even understand that they're trying to accomplish with this show. And as a trainer, you really just care about the animal's behavior and making sure that the animal has a positive, successful show. And that Blue Horizons allowed so many opportunities to to make the show fun for the animals. And I know that's mm-hmm. not the correct way to say it, but whatever. Um, we, can, and, we can be a, we can be slightly anthropomorphic. Yeah, can't we? Just a little <laughs> bit. Come on. And um, it was that made it so fun because I'm telling you. <laughs> The first big behavior in that show is a hydro that SeaWorld calls it a hydro, but you have a dolphin on one foot and they launch the trainer into the air. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're going from, I forget how deep that pool is, but around 30 feet at the bottom all the way to the surface. And after you complete that and d- dive back into the water, those dolphins are going nuts. They're like, <laughs> They're just like so amped. I mean, we're not, there's no food going on. There's nothing about that. They're just amped because this show is fast paced, dynamic, quick. I mean, dolphins are like, like young golden retrievers. You know, they're just so in tune and ready to look and go and, 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 and you give them this, this really great. 30 minute show where they just have to be on and it just feeds them, you know, it's really mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. Did you have to do a lot of work in learning how to do water work? Like how, how to balance yourself in the air or did you just take to it quite naturally? Uh, I think I took to it quite naturally. I'm sure some of my coworkers would probably chuckle after hearing me say that. But the one difference was that at the facility in Hawaii, all of the water work I did was with, one dolphin Mm -hmm. at a time so 
at SeaWorld, it was two dolphins almost all the time. You rarely mm. ever had one dolphin with you sometimes, but most of the time it was two dolphins. And then sometimes it was even more. And so that was more of a, um, a change for me, um, working two dolphins rather than one, having two dolphins push you rather than one, having two dolphins, you know, go underwater with you rather than one. That, that, that I remember thinking, Oh my gosh, I got to look at both of these guys. And then another difference was, um, the way, the way I was brought up in the field was that you always paired yourself with reinforcement and they made, they took that literally as though I should always have fish on me, even when I'm in the water with the animals. So at the first facility I grew up at, we would have fanny packs filled with fish mm. and that, and we would have that in the water during water work. So we could reinforce anytime we wanted. SeaWorld had a very different approach, one that I think is actually much better, which is that all the reinforcement comes from, it, honestly, anywhere outside of the trainer in the water. Now, you can change that up. People can grab fish and bring that with them into the water. Mm-hmm. But the reinforcement should come from somewhere on stage or after you exit the water so that the animal learns, okay, as long as this I, I let this person get out of the water, they're going to give me food. Mm-hmm. Um and and there's a lot of other reasons. And I well, think I mean, also, you know, you should rely on your relationship with the animal as well. Like not just the animals not staying with you because you have yeah. reinforcement on you. It's just, yeah. you know, your relationship is reinforcing. Yeah. And I went back to that facility in Hawaii last year and they're still doing the same thing. And I don't I don't know if it's wrong, but I don't think it's efficient. I, I think having experiencing both, I think not pairing yourself with food in the water is probably like to your point. Uh, mm hmm. You, you leverage the relationship more. And so that was different. And, um, uh, the, but they're so good. They were so great at SeaWorld. They didn't push me to learn water work faster than I wanted to. Um, and they also really let me choose the dolphins that I felt like I had good relationships with. Oh, I mean, that's there was, nice. there was one dolphin, um, that was a little more advanced. Like when I started, I was a trainer level and I think you had to be a senior trainer to do water work with them. But, one role in the show meant that somehow I was going to end up in the water with this dolphin. And I remember thinking, oh, God, they're going to make this a big deal because I'm not a senior trainer in this dolphin, blah, blah, And they weren't because they're like, no, you two are good. Like, we see it. You guys yeah. have worked with each other. And so they were they were really open for that. And then I didn't I never did show water work with the pilot whales or false killer whale. Um, but we did water work in the back. And that was eerily similar to just working a dolphin i didn't feel like i don't know what i'm doing here i felt like yeah this is a a really big dolphin yeah i mean yeah you were you mentioned there you were lucky enough to get into the water with josie uh, oh yeah that's crazy that you know her name yes i know i I was like a proper sea world groupie oh wow yeah well don't say that too loud oh yeah yeah, i was obsessed i was the person that thought knowing the names of all the killer whales is what was going to get me hired yeah definitely. thankfully i learned ted turner himself in a fish kitchen gave me a date dressing down oh yeah yeah it's yeah that that is good advice for new new people out there don't i needed it I yeah. absolutely needed it. And I can pretty much thank that advice for, you know, getting me to where I am now, because I think if I hadn't changed it, I would I would not have gotten a job. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, so that's the, I, I find that really exciting getting into, you know, the water with different species. But also interesting that you say that the pilot whales and false killer whales were very like being in with a big dolphin. Did you feel the same when you went to killer whale or did you? Well, feel- I never did water work with a whale in. I never I will say I never did water work with a whale with a killer whale. Now, I have been in the water with a killer whale, but. When I moved to Shamu, it was so terrible. <laughs> and that's, that's the only way I can say it. Not for any other reason that the government had their hands over everything we were doing. Yeah. And it would change sometimes every few hours on what the rules were, on what we were allowed to do and not allowed to do. So I'm a, I'm new to the area. There's no, there's no water work, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then when they started to incorporate some water work back in, it was all so regimented. I don't, I don't even like talking about it because mm-hmm. it was such, it was such a stupid, it was so stupid. It was mm-hmm. so stupid, everything going on over mm-hmm. there. And, um, yeah, so I, so I don't know. I would have loved to be the guy doing water work. Uh, with those whales and have that relationship with the whales because I think you can have a relationship with any animal if you guys can share the same space. Mm-hmm. But if you can't share the same space, I think that relationship becomes very hard. And yeah, I think it's I love that, you know, to like how strict the protocols were when you went, because was that three years after Don's incident that you yeah, went to about- yeah. So this was still going on. You know, this was very strict for a long time after it happened. Um, well, and it, it wasn't so much as a response to Don's incident as it was at this point being a response to Blackfish. Um, also, yeah. Yeah. So you there was a, there was a lot. I mean, when I was a killer whale trainer, it was probably the second worst time you could have ever been a killer whale trainer. The worst time would have been if you were there during any incident with a killer whale. But yeah. I mean, it, it was terrible. It was terrible. I, I really, and, and everyone felt it when mm-hmm. I, when I would go to work at whale and dolphin stadium, people were in a beautiful mood, happy, excited, engaged, um, committed, driven, really embedded in their purpose. And when I went to Killer Whale, it was very much like, we just got to get through the day. We just got to get through this day. What was that like mentally for you? Terrible. Terrible. I used to walk up to the gate and go, all right, just just have a good attitude today. Like, just just you you feel good. I've, you know, I've, 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 I drove to work and I prepped myself up and I'm like, all right, we're going to do it. And then you would walk in that door. You don't even lock in the door. You have to go through security. Security as if you're meeting the president of the United States. Like you have to have a wristband and you have to show your ID and you have to go through a security guard thing. And there's multiple checkpoints and blah, 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 because it's Killer Whale Stadium, which now is like Fort Knox for some reason. Mm -hmm. And by the time you get in there, you're just well, there's 30 other trainers who also don't want to be there. And it was it was it was a really it wasn't a fun experience most of the time and I and I have never really shared that part because I don't I didn't want to uh talk negatively about my coworkers but look it's it's so long ago now but and, but and also it was, it was, I think it's 
it's impossible to expect anyone to be positive all the time, you know, and I'm not even talking about, oh, you can have good days and bad days. You know, there is so much that went on at Killer Rail at SeaWorld Orlando. It's impossible to expect those trainers to be dealing with it well every right. single day. And yeah, I think and I think a lot of them, though, um, took they dealt with they didn't a lot of them did not deal with it well. And I hear you and I understand why. But that does not give you permission to take it out on other people, especially oh, okay. uh, your coworkers. And there was a, there was some of that. Oh, um, OK. Yeah. Where we it, it did not feel like a team. It felt mm-hmm. like a team divided. And maybe that's also in part that I was not ever embedded in the Shamu culture. There were people who've worked at that stadium with those whales for literally 20 or more years. And then I show up, I'm like, oh, I've been at Dolphin for three years and now I'm at Shamu. And they're like, who cares, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, uh, look, I left a year after. I was there a year. I asked to go to Sea Lion. They said no, and then I left. Do you think that it was that atmosphere that really changed your outlook on working with marine mammals? Yes. If what I if I had been moved to Sea Line, I might I don't actually know, but I would I would would certainly have been in the industry longer. Maybe not forever, but at least at least for longer. Yeah, because I I had no I had never thought about leaving. When I started at Sea World, I remember I called my dad and I I said I think I can do this forever. <laughs> Funny how because life works out, huh? It was so fabulous. And mm-hmm. I had come from a really small facility that had no trainer support. I mean, nothing. Mm-hmm. You were lucky if they had a wetsuit that fit you, okay? Mm-hmm. And so then you go to SeaWorld, they're like, here's 18 wetsuits and 43 <laughs> joggers, and make sure you get enough shower time, and you get an hour for lunch, and all of these things. I'm like, this is this is like a dream. Yeah. And then uh, Shamu was, I wouldn't call it a nightmare, but certainly not a dream. I want to circle back a second because you spoke about um, how important you think it is to share space with your animals. And I would agree. Um, I've spoken about it on previous episodes, but when I worked at Laura Park with the whales, our protocols were very similar to SeaWorld, you know, with regards to distance. Yeah. Whereas Marineland operated much more very strict safety protocols still. But much more trainers are responsible for making judgments of Mm -hmm. when they can do certain things and not. So we got a lot closer to the animals because of that. And personally, I've seen the difference it makes in your relationship and your Mm -hmm. mentality towards working with the trainers. So what was it like to be in the water every single day with the dolphins, with the pilot whales, et cetera, to then have to go to being dry all the time, but not just dry, having such a distance between you and the animals? Uh, really mentally tough. Mm. And I actually know, I actually have a story to preface that to really illustrate it is when I was in Hawaii, I was in the water every day. And then when I got hired at SeaWorld, they, at the time, they had a policy where they're like, okay, you have to be dry for your first six months at SeaWorld. And I was like, no problem. Oh, okay. And I don't think that exists anymore, but that was the policy back then. And so uh, I was dry at Dolphin Stadium for the first six months. I think it was less than that, but it was supposed to be six months. And I was so depressed. And I'm in therapy, and I'm going to therapy every week, and I'm going, 
I don't know why I'm so depressed. They go, well, you just had a big life change. You moved from Hawaii to Florida. I was like, no, but I wanted to do that. I'm happy that I'm Mm -hmm. here. Like, do you like your job? I'm like, yeah, I love my job. And finally, my therapist asked me, she goes, when was the last or no, when do you feel happiest? And I said, when I'm in the water with an animal. And she said, when's the last time you've done that? And I go, oh, my gosh, it was when I was in Hawaii. And so my mental health plummeted in correlation with me not being in the water with the Mm. animals. So it it was huge for me to, but there was a lot of relief that came with that. Just being like, ah, that's why. Okay. I can get through that because I know I one day will be in the water again. You have an end. It was just pinpointing that. So you go, you go to Shamu. What, who wants to stand in a wetsuit in the middle of summer and look down at an animal in a pool? I mean, you might, Anybody can do that. And I know trainers are going to get pissed and hear that. And be like, oh, not anybody can. Pretty much. You just stand there. That is not working with an animal. That is like interacting with an animal. But I'm, I'm talking about being, sharing space with an animal, having a relationship with an animal. You don't do that from 10 feet apart. Yeah, that's the, that's the physical distance that, you know, you're sometimes working with with killer whales in that moment. You're not even at the edge of the water with killer whale here. You're, you oh, know, well, and with Tilcom, we were, I, I don't even know the distance, so far away. And mm-hmm. it, it's so stupid. It's not good for the animals. And that's what drives me nuts is I, who can, the people can make their own decisions. They can quit if they want to. The animals don't get a choice. And it's not good for them to have people so far away, especially when their whole lives, people have been such an integral part of their enrichment and overall yes. well-being. And so you're yes. removing that. So the only people that, the only things that really suffered here were, were the animals. The animals. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then the other ridiculous part about this is all of these animals were fine doing water work. Mm-hmm. But because this incident over here, it would be it would be like saying, hey, here in Arizona, there was this golden retriever who who bit a, a child. And it was terrible. It was awful that this child got bit by a golden retriever. And because of that, though, all golden retrievers in all of America can no longer be around kids. Yeah. Well, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I mean, it was just a massive negative punishment for the animals. You know, negative punishment is removal of things they like so a massive removal of trainer attention which they've always been used to is obviously going to be detrimental to their welfare i asked um my supervisor when i moved to shamu i said what was it like when you guys went dry and she said the first few days nothing because we would have periods of dry time and so the animals the whales were just like okay whatever Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of days, no people in the water, all good. But then by day four or five, when the part in the show or the part in the music or the part in the session would call for someone to get in the water or specifically stand, like step onto the whale's back, yeah. the whales were, no one can see me do this, but the whales were <laughs> pushing yeah. their back up, breaking the surface of the water near the mm-hmm. edge of the stage. You know, not to be anthropomorphic, but to be anthropomorphic, saying like, get on my back. Come on. Yeah. This is our, this is our cue. We're going to miss mm-hmm. it. And it was those little things that I thought were so sad that yeah. 
um, we had to miss out on. So yeah, no, it, it, it sucked there. It, it was not fun for me. Um, I had plenty of fun times, but it was not fun enough for me to, uh, give up my, give up my life. And when you're an animal trainer, you, at least for me, I gave up my life, right? I, yeah. I gave up everything. I moved away from my mm-hmm. family. You don't make any money. You work weekends and holidays. Um, you, you give it up. You give all of it up. And so it's got to be worth it to you. And it just wasn't worth it to me anymore. And when you did make the decision to leave, how was that mental health wise? Because that's a massive decision. And I know that I struggled so much with losing my identity and trying to figure out who I was without them, where my life was going. I'm honestly, if I'm, I'm still struggling. I'm still mm. I still have a counselor like I still not it's it goes it's more than just missing the animals you feel like you're missing a part of yourself or at least i did so what what was that like for you after making that decision i did not feel that way i did not feel like i was i left because of my mental health in order to improve mm. it mm-hmm. leaving did not hurt my mental health leaving helped it okay, because yeah. i was i cried so hard my last day at shamu and not because that was my last day at SeaWorld and my last day in the industry. And I didn't I wasn't crying because I was sad I was leaving. I was crying because I had never been treated so poorly by adults, by like other human beings. It was it was it was the only time in my life I'd been bullied to my face. And I was told later that um It was because there was there is this and it it came from the top down. Okay, this is not just coworkers. I'm not going to top down. It came from it was it was so sad the way what what people higher than supervisors told me when I gave my two weeks. It was it was disgusting. I thought disgusting that they would talk to one of their employees like that in such a demeaning way and it it came very i think it came very much from the space of like well if you're going to leave us and you're not part of us then we want nothing to do with you you either Mm. live behind these you know gated walls with these whales or you're not part of this and if you're leaving then forget you forever and that was that was why do you why do you think that there is such a culture like that in this industry because i've experienced it too and i think many jobs are so coveted I mean, SeaWorld can't keep a a job trainer posting up for more than 24 hours because they get too many applications in. And so for you to walk away from one of these coveted positions is almost like a slap in the face to them. Like everybody wants to be here. And you're especially at Shamu, there's this idea that Shamu somehow is the pinnacle of animal training or killer Mm -hmm. whales rather is the pinnacle of marine animal training. And so I think if you walk away from that, they almost take it personally. Um, yes, I, I yeah. hear that. I hear that. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know. And I actually, um, this, this here, here's a story I've never, I've actually, I'm sharing so many things I've never shared before. <laughs> Thank you. But I, <laughs> I don't, um, I think part of it is like, it's so long ago that it doesn't really matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, I didn't share this when it, when I first left because it was still new and, tumultuous and i i do care about a lot of i did care a lot about my uh, i did care a lot about a lot of my coworkers. Mm-hmm. but when i um oh shoot what was i just gonna say oh so it was my <laughs> last day and uh 
my boyfriend at the time came to watch me in the last show and it was raining and I was supposed to work one of the animals, one of the whales, I think Trua, I don't really remember. And one of the senior one trainers, like just to step down for a supervisor, uh, walks up to the board where, and the board indicates what, like everyone's role in the last show. I already see where this is going. Yeah. And so they're like, I, of course, typically you're like, if, if you'd be like, Oh, it's your last day. We're going to give you the best role, the most mm-hmm. fun. The, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this woman came up and, uh, man, I wish I could remember right, her name right now. Cause I'd call her out. But, uh, she walks up to that board and she goes, all right, Kyle, I'm going to take you off of Trua and we're just going to have you dance for this show. Okay. And you can't, you can't say no, you're, mm-hmm. you're, she outranks you. So mm-hmm. I, and, at, and this is why I literally, literally quit. So I'm like, you know, learned helplessness. I'm like, okay, sounds good, mm-hmm. whatever. And, uh, I was with two other trainers and she, the, the trainer who kicked me out of the show, my last show ever, uh, leaves and, uh, one, another trainer starts crying. I go, why are you crying? She goes, I, they're, they're just the way they're treating you. I go, I know that's why I'm leaving or one of the reasons. And, uh, another guy goes, Hey, do you want me to go get you back in this show? I will go talk to them and get you back in. And I said, no, because after today I get to leave, but you have to be here. And if you do that, mm. they will hold it against you for weeks, mm-hmm. for weeks. You will be, you will be paying for this. And it was just sick and disgusting. And, um, and, and that was one of many things that happened that day. And that's why I got into my car and I just started crying because I felt like I had been beaten up all day. And so my boyfriend came and sat in the rain and watched me clap my hands on my last show as a senior trainer at SeaWorld. No, no animals, horrible. nothing, nothing. And then one girl even comes up to me and she goes, all right, I'm going to take pictures of you dancing to be mean. Like not not like let me grab some pictures of you on your last day. Like ha ha, you're dancing. I'm gonna go take pictures of you. And and y'all, this if I was listening to this, I would probably think, well, this guy probably was just a dick, and they're like <laughs> they're ready for him to leave. No, I was not. I worked so hard. I was so nice. You can go ask anybody. Go go find somebody who I worked with, mm-hmm. and. I will be you will be hard pressed to find somebody who who would say Kyle was anything other than helpful with a good attitude. Mm. And they and they just and they didn't just do it to me. I'm just sharing my experience. I watched them do it to so many other people. So many I mean, I, I completely believe you. And it's not something that's rare. Unfortunately, you know, I felt very lucky when I moved to Marineland that the culture there was completely opposite. It was so welcoming. We had a fantastic manager who appreciated everyone, gave everyone opportunities. And I think honestly, that's why it was so hard for me to leave. But when I left Laurel Park, um, I could not get out of there fast enough. And I specifically didn't talk about it much in my book because again, that whole culture of, Oh, don't call them out. You know, don't, you don't want to be viewed as saying anything negative about any facility. And at Laurel Park is an incredible facility overall. None of that came from upper management. It was well, and, and that's very important, the point you're making, which is I've never been to Laurel Park. But my contempt for the behavior of my yeah. coworkers no way reflects the care that was provided to the animals. Absolutely. 
fabulous okay mm-hmm. i i left there with the peace knowing that the animals were still yes. well taken care of because one thing we mm-hmm. all agreed on animals number one everyone's on the same page with mm-hmm. that it's just just can you treat me as well as you're yes. treating the animals because and you're kind of uh, not very nice it's straight up bullying it's straight up bullying oh, and yeah. harassment in the workplace and you're talking about people being mean like i've i always wanted to get in the water with the killer elf. I, I always wanted to do it, and we obviously did water descents, and I'm very lucky now at Marineland to be able to say I did go in the water with the killer oil, and it was great, amazing, fantastic for the descents. But at Laurel Park, when we started training it, we were training it with a whale whose team I wasn't on, and the plan at Laurel Park was for everyone on that whale's team to do the descents first before moving on to another whale. Mm-hmm. And there were two trainers who were on that whales team who were newer than I was. So technically I had more experience, but they were going to get to go in the water before me. And, you know, that was something that I was obviously upset about, but I accepted it. I was like, it's just one of those things. And I had one of the senior trainers come up to me and get in my face and go, haha, did you see they're going to get to go in the water with the killer oil before you? Yeah. Just, I know. just to point it out, just to oh, rub yeah. it in. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think a lot of that is killer whale culture that was yes. built in the eighties and nineties. Yes, it was very I much agree. like a hazing fraternity, uh, pledging process. Uh, and honestly, I thrive in that, <laughs> in that state. Like I probably would have been a not. great, yeah, I, a lot of people don't, but I probably would have been a great killer whale trainer in 1994, uh. you know? I think um, I would have had a panic attack every single day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and what I heard is a lot of people did, you know, and the stories <laughs> we're sharing about somebody, like, pointing a finger at you and saying something mean and naughty mm-hmm. uh, pales in comparison on to what was going on in the 90s. Mm-hmm. It was, it, it really was, like, a, an extreme form of bullying. And as much as I'm uh, negatively talking about my time at Shamu, I, for the most part, look back at it fondly mm-hmm. because, you know, at the end of the day, working with the apex predator at the best facility in the con- in the world is what an experience, you know. It is just yeah. it, it was there were fabulous moments to it. It's just a shame that those moments have to be tarnished by you know those negative experiences. And yeah. I really struggled with that mentally at Laurel Park. You know, literally crying in the changing room every single oh, day, yeah. being like, I have my dream job i am working with killer rails and i am miserable yeah and it is so damaging yeah yeah i mean i've i've out i've to myself (laughs) said what i would like to say to three people that i worked with at Mm. uh shambu stadium because i thought if i ever run into them they just hold a space of the only adults in my life that ever bullied me to my face I was never bullied in high school or college. I was never bullied. I made a very uh, popular video in response to Blackfish, and I got a lot of online bullying for that response from people Mm -hmm. who were, um, you know, anti-SeaWorld and Mm -hmm. pro-Blackfish. But never to my face, except other killer Mm -hmm. whale trainers. Yeah. I mean, it was it was whatever. I don't even want to talk about it anymore because it's so sad. No, it is. And it is very, you know, mentally damaging. And and you are such a mental health advocate. You know, it's it's what you do nowadays. Yeah. But now now, though, I am so much more resilient when I was Mm. in my 20s in that space. Gosh, I was I was not I could handle it now. I think mm-hmm. I think if I was in that space, if I for some reason I went to go work at Shamu with the same people, I would be able to handle it because it's so 
mental health education provides a lot of value, but one is that most people's behavior is more of an indication of something that they're struggling with that ha- than something that mm-hmm. has anything to do with you. And to really believe that is very different than understanding the concept. Mm. And so I really believe that now. So if somebody's rude to me or makes a comment towards me, I, my my now automatic response is, ooh, what's going on with them? Mm. Like some, there's something strong, like they've got something they've got to work out rather than mm-hmm. why the hell are they talking to me like that, you know? Yeah. So why why are you not why are you so passionate about mental health, but what got you into that after leaving the field of marine mammal training? I know what a jump. Well, I moved to California and I was doing a lot of on camera work um, in the hosting space, a lot of on camera work with animals. And then uh, this company, Med Circle, reached out and they wanted me to interview some of their doctors. And at that time, Med Circle was just a medical platform. And I thought, sounds good. I can use the cash. I'll go interview these doctors, whatever. So I do a day of shooting and I think I'll never hear from them again. And they post the video on their YouTube channel and it goes to a million views like really quick. And then it went to 10 million views and then they go, all right, well, we need to make more of these. <laughs> so we started to make more videos and they were doing well. And then they said, why don't you just quit doing all the other video stuff you're doing and just be our full time host at Med mm-hmm. Circle? And I was like, bingo, I would love that, you know. And so I, I started there and then I became more than just a host. I started, you know, working on the the company side as well and um you know hopefully adding value towards their marketing and and uh, you know their website and all these other things that we do and so um yeah that's how i got into it and i had been in the mental health space personally you know i've been i started seeing therapists when i was 9 and got on Prozac when i was 9 so i'm not not familiar with mental health mm-hmm. but now i'm real familiar with mental health i mean it's <laughs> what i do almost every day um and we have you know med circle has close to a thousand videos in our in our library at the moment and i'm in every single one so (laughs) and and i and i only say that um not to not to do anything other than that's how much mental health education i've gotten Mm -hmm. i've been a part of Mm -hmm. i have led more than a thousand conversations on mental health with the best, most educated psychologist and psychiatrist on the planet. So I've had this, what I considered a very elevated education on the topic, and it's been fabulous. Yeah, I think, you know, the discussion around mental health is becoming more prevalent in recent years. I think specifically with regards to anxiety and depression, you know, there's Mm -hmm. other mental illnesses out there that are still not talked about enough and there's still a lot of stigma, you know, surrounding them. But I think, you know, we've spoken a lot about marine mammal training, obviously. So I'd like to kind of stick to that with regards to mental health, because trainers these days have to protect themselves in so many different ways mentally. You know, you've got activists coming for them the social media is an absolute minefield you've got compassion fatigue there's so many you know and even outright bullying still there's still so many toxic work environments out there in your experience do you think there's anything that trainers can do 
to try and foster good mental health or to protect their mental health? Well, first of all, you have to. If you are a working trainer right now and you are not on the verge of burnout or not having major stress or anxiety, I would be surprised um, because it is in some ways the worst time to be a trainer uh, because of the culture, because of social media, because of the way humans and animals are we're changing the way we live with animals. I can you can see it. You can feel it. Um, there's no reason to fight it. I think you have to roll with it um, and, you know, keep the animal's priority at the forefront of these changes. In some ways, it's the best time, though, because the training has never been better. Um, positive reinforcement and operant conditioning are at the forefront of every facility now. I never hear about facilities like using these old you know, tool, school tools from the 80s anymore. It just seems like everyone is getting on the same page, which is mm. so fabulous. What I would recommend are off the top is that when I was an animal trainer, that is what I was. I hung out with other animal trainers on mm-hmm. my days off. I trained dogs and then I worked. And when I went home for Christmas, uh, you know, the one year I could do it. That I would get asked, oh, so you're you're the guy who works with dolphins. I mean, it's your whole identity. Every mm-hmm. it's just what you're the guy who look at this guy. He works with killer whales. I mean, it is your whole identity. Yeah, you got to get away from that. That's not mm-hmm. who you are. It's what you do. It's what you love. It's what your passion is. Your childhood dream. It's all those things. But it cannot be the only thing that you're doing. How many people do you know who aren't animal trainers? You know, you got to have more than one. How many people? <laughs> I'm like hiding my face. Hey, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this how, how much two years ago? What are you doing on your off time? Are you just going hanging out with your other six coworkers and going to the beach? If your whole world is work, I don't know if that it could be great for you. But I, I got I was much happier when I had an outlet outside of SeaWorld. When I had friends who were running small businesses who didn't work at at SeaWorld, those were outlets that really improved my mental health. So Mm. I know that all of our number one loves are these animals, but don't forget about your number two loves. Maybe you like to write. Your number three loves. Maybe you like to paint. Your number four loves. Maybe you like to travel. Whatever those other things are that we love, go do those. Um, Two, if you can afford therapy, be in therapy. Be in therapy now. Therapy is not an indication that something's wrong with you or that you're weak and you need help. It would be it would be like saying, I'm I'm gonna start eating good and exercising when I get really overweight and I'm about to die. No, that's not when you start exercising and eating well. You you it is part of your overall well being. Get into therapy. I think I was like I mentioned, I was diagnosed with depression when I was nine years old. I didn't know what depression was and had not heard of cognitive behavioral therapy until I started working at Med Circle when I was 30. So if you are in a mental health treatment therapy, if you're struggling with either a diagnosable condition or just the symptoms of, you know, stress and anxiety, getting educated on that is often the game changer that people miss. So. You are burned out at work, but do you really know what burnout is? Because yesterday I had a 90-minute class with Dr. Ramani Dervasala, a clinical psychologist, all about workplace burnout. 
the specific diagnosis and the international certification of disease diseases, I think that's what it's, or classification of diseases. So I'm saying if you were to, if you are having burnout, that 90 minute class on really understanding what burnout is, how to prevent it, what to do once you have it, that class could have changed your whole life. And it's just education. It's not treatment or therapy. It's much mm-hmm. more affordable. And it doesn't require you to go sit in an office somewhere. So get educated on mental health. And I'm not, I'm not even advocating that you go pay for a med circle membership. I'm saying go get the education, start for free. Go mm-hmm. to, go to YouTube. We have a med circle. Of course, I'm going to promote med circle, but we have uh, more than a million YouTube subscribers. We get millions of views a month and we upload, upload new content every week. And that education is often the catalyst for profound change in your life. Whether it's a realization, whether it's a discovery, and not only with yourself, but with others. You're not, your boss is a dick. And they're not going to change. That's just how they are. So you can either go get a new job, which that sucks, or you can learn tools and strategies to navigate, manage that uh, dynamic in the workplace. When you start to put ownership back in you, start to claim your ownership, I think you get your power back. And that's also a very uh, relieving thing to happen. So that was a long-winded say, a long-winded answer to um, don't forget about your passions. Don't let your whole identity be wrapped up in your job. Be in treatment and get educated on whatever emotions, feelings, or symptoms you're experiencing. Yeah, no, I think that's all, you know, fantastic advice. Basically, it's never too early to seek help. You know, you can be feeling a little bit down. Go seek help then or talk to someone, you know, don't mm-hmm. wait until you're in a full blown depressive episode. You know, yeah. get or get if you're early. killing it, if you're like, man, my relationships are good and my and my kids are thriving and um, work is fabulous. Well, go, go, go to therapy then too. Mm-hmm. talk about all the things that are great. Why are things going so wonderful right now? You know, all, all of those things. It's always a good time for therapy. <laughs> I would definitely be inclined to agree. Um, and if you guys are interested in watching some med circle videos or learning a little bit more about it, all of those links are going to be below in the description box, as will be Kyle's book, Wear Wetsuit at Work. Uh, because yeah. you did write a book, even though you said that yeah. it was, you know, a little bit difficult. So you're clearly very passionate about helping others get into the field. And you've had so much advice to give everyone on, you know, this episode. So, you know, if you want to hear a little bit more from Kyle, then go ahead and check that out. Yeah, it's available on Amazon, digital and paperback. It is essentially the book that I wish I had when I was starting. Um, I kept notes from day one when I was in college and decided I was going to pursue this to the day I left. And then when I left the industry, I literally started writing that book. I was like, all right, let's put it all together. All the notes I took, all the forms, all the sheets, all the studying, all the flashcards, every, every Imata thing, everything I could get was put into that book. And Look, I don't make any money off that book because not enough people buy it. It's not some bestseller. But if you're an aspiring marine animal trainer, I can't recommend a better manual to direct you into the field than um, this book. And it uh, – what was I going to say about it? Shoot. See, this is <laughs> 
It's older. definitely very useful for sure. Oh, but what's so beautiful, what, what I love about this book is, um, probably, I don't know, four times a year, I get an email from somebody who says, I finally got the job or I finally landed the position and I just did everything you said in the book. And I was like, that's, that is like the greatest gift that someone could give me is, is the acknowledgement that this book helped them achieve their dreams. Oh my gosh. What a, it's such a a wonderful feeling. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. It really is. But you know, you, you have made a difference and you're still making a difference, you know, with med circle and, Everything that you've spoken about in this episode, thank you for being so candid as well, you know, and being so open and talking um, about things that a lot of people find difficult still to talk about for a multitude of reasons. But I'm sure everyone will have learned so, so much uh, from everything that you've said. So thank you so much for coming on with me today. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, then please do not forget to like, rate, and subscribe. Sharing on social media is always a bonus, and I will catch you guys next week.